Open your Bibles with me, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 3. John read this passage, 1 Peter chapter 3. He began in uh, verse 8. 1 Peter chapter 3, he began in verse 8. I need you to, I need you to notice something before I begin preaching. I need you to notice that it's uh, 1147. I'm just saying that, okay? Before I haven't started preaching, it's 1147, okay? Because when you get up and walk out, you're going to say, wow, look what time it is. And so, like, well, yeah, but it was 1148 before I started preaching, amen? <laughs> First Peter chapter 3. Finally. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrawise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. Father, bless us, bless us, as you say in this passage, Lord, may we understand, each of us, each of us that are your children, may we understand what it means to be a child of God, to be set free from the flesh, to be set free from selfishness, to be set free from retaliation, to be set free from wanting to hurt anyone ever, ever, ever again, to be set free from needing to have our way, to even wanting our way. Lord, cause us to understand this. Father, those that are here this morning who aren't new creatures, who view either view Christianity as a set of rules or a bunch of assembling together for some reason, Lord, may they see past all that they've understood and see your love. May they see your power. May they see your forgiveness, deliverance, and ability to change. Lord, we thank you that you are able to change each and every one who will simply be honest. Lord, we ask you that you'd accomplish this using your own word and your own Holy Spirit. We thank you for this and we praise you in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I need a couple of minutes, just a couple of minutes to introduce the passage that we're looking at. We won't be particularly long this morning, but I do need a couple of minutes. I need you to turn back. I need you to put your finger here, chapter 3. I need you to jump back one page. In my Bible, it's one page. You jump back as far as it takes for you to be able to see the beginning of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. And so maybe you'll put a second finger there and then go back a couple more pages to the beginning of the book of James. You need to understand that James and 1 Peter go together. You need to understand this. You really need to understand that James and 1 Peter go together. That in order to really enter into the joy unspeakable and full of glory that's in 1 Peter, you need to understand what God is teaching us in the book of James. And then while your finger is there, I hope you got room for one more turn of the page to Hebrews. That's all you got to do. Go back to Hebrews chapter 13. We don't, go to, we don't need to go all the way back. We could go all the way back to Hebrews chapter 1. But in order to understand what's going on in James and then 1 Peter, you need to understand the power of our great high priest in the book of Hebrews. 
Hebrews is the first reality epistle, the first general epistle as our Bible is laid out. Our Bible is laid out in a specific, particular order that is profitable to us if we understand the order. It was, it was given in such a way as to be beneficial by a God who wants us to be benefited from it. Do you understand? It is not simply a bunch of books thrown together haphazardly. It has nothing to do with the efforts of men on any level. This is a book from God to us because God loves us and wants us to know him, to be able to walk with him in a wonderful, joyful peace with a power that is not ours. We live, we live in such a blessed Time on this planet. You and I live in what is understood as the church age. We live in a time where God makes it clear in Acts chapter 1 that he has poured out the Spirit of God into the earth inside us to make a difference in our lives. That is such a remarkable and wonderful difference. It is a power that is meant to make us look different because we are different. The problem with churches in America, listen to me, hear me, the problem with churches in America is we have a bunch of either unsaved people or ignorant people trying in their own strength, in their own flesh, to please God and impress one another. And this is not God's plan for us. This is not God's plan for us. Now I want you to see this. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 20, because we have such a great high priest who not only ever lives to make intercession for us, but is pouring out through the power of the Holy Spirit a whole new quality of life into the life of the believers. This is what God wants for us. Notice how he says this, how he wraps it up in Hebrews 13, verse 20. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Amen. Make you perfect. Who's going to make me perfect? Not me. Right? Not me. But the same God that rose from the dead by the power of God rising from the dead is the one that's going to take the deadness in me away and give me life instead. Make you perfect. And every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight. Do you see this? You don't have to show off. There's no reason to show off. And by the way, if you're showing off, you're doing it for the wrong reason anyway. And here, let me say this. This is something we're all learning. Every time you think you've done something worthy of others acknowledging it, you couldn't have done anything worth seeing at all. Because if it was worth seeing, God did it. And if God did it, you're not going to boast about it as if you did it. That's what God wants us to understand. It is him working in us, that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Now it's 2,000 years later. Amen. And God is still pouring out the Spirit of God into the lives of those who trust Jesus for their salvation. Not just forgiven for the penalty of their sins, but separated, rescued 
from the power of sin. Now, again, John said this in Sunday school class, something he said, it's something that I say a great deal, and I still mean it with all of my heart today. I thank God that the penalty of my sin has been paid. I thank God that the power of sin has been broken, but I am still looking forward to being out of the presence of sin forever. Amen? But that's not this time. That is just not this time. We have to leave this earth before we can be out of the presence of sin because we live in a sinful world. Yes, we still live in sinful flesh. But if we'll walk after the Spirit instead of after our sinful flesh, what a difference God will make. That's the reality. So that's the context. Hebrews chapter 13 makes it clear that as we go into the book of James, God is the one making the difference in our lives. Now what we find in James, we don't have time to go back and look at this, but what we find in the book of James is that whole new quality of life. God intends for us to have that in our everyday life. Here, Listen, here, look up here. Problem number two in American Christianity. People are different on Sunday than they are on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. You know what that's called? Hypocrisy. That's called hypocrisy, right? Everybody understands this, yes? The word hypocrite comes simply from stage mask. What, what did people, when they used to do plays, back before we spent all the time and money that Hollywood does now in uh, all of the decorations and the green screens and everything, people just held up little things in front of their faces. And when they changed their character, they just held up a different little sign. And what, this is, what hypocrite means is this. You come to church on Sunday and you hold up a little mask in front of you and say, this is who I am. But it's not who you are. God is not you. Listen, you will never impress God anyway. And God is not interested in you and I seeking to impress each other with the way we appear to be. God wants to change us in our everyday life. Hear me. Who you are is who you are when you're by yourself. That's who you are. Who you are is who you are when you are bumped and then bumped again and then bumped again. That's who you are. This was terrible for me. I've been saved, honestly, I've been saved for, for 31 years now. Saved for 31 years. And I would say, honestly, for the first 25 of them, if you bumped me twice, you bumped me once too many times. Amen? And I even felt justified in my response at that point. Because all I was going to do is tell you what you really needed to hear, as far as I was concerned. But this is not the power of God. This is not the power of God. If you, want, if you say, well, that's not true. Some of you agree with me. Oh, yeah, exactly, brother. That's good. It's not. How do you know this? Because it's not how Jesus behaved himself. Yes? And the same power that Jesus had because God gave the Spirit unto him in no measure at all. In other words, he was full of the Holy Ghost all the time as a man. Now listen, we all know he's God the Son, but he's also full of the Holy Ghost as he walks on the earth as a man. He has the fullness of God and he trusts the Father all of the time. Amen. That same power is available to you and me. That same power. And by the way, Jesus is the one that sends it. That's what he says, right? It is expedient for you that I go away. It's important for you that I go away. I must go and present the blood because when I go I can send the Holy Ghost to live within you praise God amen 
If you want to understand how that works, again, you can just go back to the first time, the day that Aaron is anointed for the first time. What you'll notice is Aaron is anointed, and then the blood is shed and applied, and then the sons of Aaron are anointed after that. That's why Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, happens after the Lord Jesus Christ leaves the earth, goes into heaven, presents the blood forever, and sends forth the Spirit of God into our lives to change us from the inside out. Praise God. That's James. A whole new quality of life in our everyday life. Now turn a couple more pages and get back to Peter. In Peter, here's the promise of Peter. In James, God promises that whole new quality of life. A great high priest giving us a whole new quality of life in our everyday life. And then in 1 Peter, we read this in chapter 1, verse 8. Whom having not seen, our Lord Jesus Christ, you can see that at the end of chapter 1, verse 7. Whom having not seen, you love. In whom, though now you see him not yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Amen? So listen, hear me. Look up here. Please look here. America needs Christians who have a life of rejoicing with joy unspeakable and full of glory in their everyday life. Now these are called the reality epistles for this reason. What have you really got? Do you have religious effort? Do you have the, I go to church because my parents went to church? Do you have the, well, I needed to turn over a new leaf and church seems like a good place. Is that what you've got? Or are you a new creature? Are you born not of the will of the flesh? Are you born of God? Honestly, are you born of God? If you're not born of God, be born of God. Do you understand? Please don't be born of religious effort. Please don't be born of the opinions of other people. Please be a new creature by the power of God. Because that's the only thing that matters. And listen, hear me. If you are a new creature by the power of God, then stop walking after the flesh. Because you don't have to anymore. You do not have to. God has set us free so that sin should what? No longer have dominion over us. Sin is not meant to have dominion in our lives. It is not. And how can it not? And this is the answer. Hear me. Please hear me. Your flesh is still vulnerable today. Even if I've been saved for 31 years, my flesh is still as vulnerable today as it was 40 years ago to sin. My flesh will always be vulnerable to sin. But the Spirit of God is not vulnerable to sin. Amen? Right? Right? The Holy Spirit of God has never had any problem with the flesh, ever. Praise God. I do. I do. And so I confess, I acknowledge, I have failed, I have failed, I have failed. And as Romans chapter 7 says, when I double down, I just failed twice as badly. When I triple down, I just failed three times as badly. Until I gave up on trying to do it in my own strength and said, God, please do it. Please do it. And he did, praise God. Amen? And some of you, I mean, we notice it. We see it in each other. We notice the difference when God makes a difference in our lives. And we don't praise each other for the difference. We praise God for the difference in our lives. Because we know this is not humanly possible. So this is what we find in 1 Peter. This is what we find in 1 Peter. This joy unspeakable and full of glory. Now, it's, two, it's, it's 12. That was my introduction. I promise to be done in 20 minutes. You can get up and leave in 20 minutes, whether I'm done or not. Finally, right, finally. Chapter 3, verse 8, finally. Now, I, I, I just want to set just a little bit more context, though, right? Go back to chapter 2, verse 11. Dearly beloved. Because dearly beloved is the beginning 
of what we're going to see in finally in chapter 3, verse 8. Chapter 2, verse 11 is the beginning of some truth that God is going to keep talking about all the way to the end of chapter 3. But let's look at it together. Dearly beloved, I, I beseech you as strangers and as pilgrims, which was introduced to us back in chapter 1, that you abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Your flesh has lust. We learned that in James, right? Your flesh. Your flesh lust is different than my flesh lust. They're, awful, they're awfully similar, but the specifics are different enough so that God, the, the devil excuse me, knows how to tempt me and he knows how to tempt you. Listen, hear me. If, even if our flesh was the same, we could still get along. Do you understand what I'm saying? We couldn't get along with God, but we could get along with each other. Do you want to know why we don't get along with each other? Do you want to know why men don't get along with each other universally? Why do men and women not get along together universally? And the answer is because all of us are selfish. And I'm fine with you so long as you don't interfere with me. Right? If we do something together that you and I both enjoy, woohoo, we love one another. Right? Until you start talking about the Pittsburgh Steelers. Right? Right? Or the New York Yankees. Brother, then we got all kinds of problems. Right? People in Alabama. The, and, you know, I mean, you think everybody in Alabama, you know, they should just get along just because they should get along. Right? I mean, they're from Alabama after all. Right? So, but if you're Auburn or Alabama, man, they just don't get along at all. Do you understand? We're just talking about sports. We're not talking about worldviews. We're not talking about the difficulty on the campuses of America today. We're not talking about real, actual uh, hatred going on in the world today. Why all the hatred? Why all the anger? And the answer is selfishness. That's why. Flesh, that's why. Abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against what? The soul. The person whose eyes that you look into, they have a soul. They may have a completely different worldview than you do, but they need Jesus just as much as you need Jesus. And by the way, Jesus loves them every bit as much, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done, Jesus loves them every much as he loves you. Everyone. That's the goodness of our God. That's the grace of our God. So it starts here. Now, I don't have time to go through all of this, even though I seem to be taking the time to do it. In verse 13... The difference in our lives is to be made manifest. It says, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. So God begins by saying this. Every one of you lives in a different neighborhood. Every one of you lives in a different civic setting, right? You can just think of it that way. Every one of us lives in a slightly different civic setting, a different neighborhood, a different local government, whatever it is, we all live in a different civic setting. And what God is saying is no matter where you live, no matter who the rulers are in your life, Personally, you can live there in the power of God. You can live there not being after your flesh at all. You can love the people around you in your neighborhood, in your community. That's what God is telling us. Then he goes on in, uh, in verse 18 to say servants. Now he's talking about going to work. So first he starts with where we live in a civic sense, the community in which we live. Then he says, now listen, I know that even more difficult than living in a tough neighborhood is going to a place of work day after day after day after day where it is difficult to go to work. I understand that. But guess what? God is greater than that. That's what he's going to tell us. God is greater than that. Then we go to chapter 3, verse 1. Chapter three, verses one, chapter 3, verse 1, all the way to chapter 3, verse 7 is going to deal with going home. 
So here, first God deals with the community where you live, then God deals with the place that you go to work, and then God deals with the place where you actually live. And in this specific case, he's dealing with women who go home to houses that have unsaved men in them, or men that go home to houses that have unsaved women in it. And what he says is this, you can have love in those houses. You can have the will of God in those houses. Why? Because that's the power of the Holy Spirit. So he goes from the community to the workplace to our intimate most relationship and says, I have enough power to give you victory, joy unspeakable, and full of glory under all of those circumstances. Then we get to chapter uh, 3, verse 8, finally. Finally. And then he's going to just deal with all of us together. Now you can really see in chapter 3, verse 8, you really kind of have to go to church to find this group. This is not the community anymore because it's not talking about everybody being a new creature at the same time. This is not talking about going to work because it's not true we go to work. This is not talking about going home, although we have many homes in our church, praise God, where everybody in the house is born again. But this is talking about when we assemble together, when we are together, when we come into this place together, God says this, finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one to another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, right? Not rendering evil for evil. And this is the wonderful thing. We don't have time, I preached this last week. But contrawise blessing. When, when people are mean to you, you can be loving to them. And listen, listen, look up here for a minute. But you can't. You can't. I can't. Not in my flesh. But pray, I don't mean this with all of my heart. I mean this with all of my heart. Understand what, what God is saying here. The Holy Spirit in me can. And here's the really good news. I can enjoy it, right? I can walk after the Spirit so that when I come under terrible attack, instead of responding in my flesh, the Holy Spirit responds instead. And everybody gets to see a completely different person than I used to be. Amen? And people will marvel at the good works in our lives, and we will say, yeah, but I didn't do it. I didn't do it. God did it. And then they can say this, well, can he do it in my life? And your answer can be this, yes, he can. Yes, he can. The same God that can conform me to the image of Christ can conform you to the image of Christ. And that's the whole point of this, yes? Otherwise, he could just take us home, right? We could have been saved, forgiven, bought by the blood, right to heaven, praise God. And that'd been wonderful. But people around us, I needed a testimony in my life to be saved. I needed someone who was different. I needed to see the change in them so I can call on the God that changed them, amen? That's why we're here. That's why we're here. And this is what God is saying to us. This is the whole point. If need be, we go through some difficult things. But understand, it's just for a moment. It's just for a moment. And it has really important, listen, hear me. It has really important purpose. Because how you and I respond under the worst of circumstances tells them how powerful God is. Yes? Everybody can be kind on Thanksgiving. Well, Thanksgiving's a hard day. You're around your extended family for a long time, right? Everybody can be kind at their own house by themselves first thing in the morning, right? Right? I do great until I run into some, oh, what are you doing in my house? Oh, you live here. Oh, hi. You know what I'm saying? I can do great in my own flesh all day long. Do you understand? We all can. You know, the world teaches peace as if going to some place where it's quiet by a brook or something like that. Going in some place where there's absolutely, you know, the, the bubbling. You know, we have these little fountains for our offices and the little, they now have sand with little tiny rakes in them so you can rake them in your office, right? Oh, it's so peaceful. It is until somebody comes into your office, right? 
God says, I have a power that goes, listen, I'm telling you, this is what God is saying to us, way beyond that. At the end of our time together last week, we were in verse 11. We were eschewing evil. What does it mean to eschew evil? What does it mean, right? We were eschewing and, and we were also ensuing, right? In verse 11, it says, let him eschew evil and do good. Now, what is, now it's very simple. What does eschew evil mean? And what it means is this, to put it down and what? And walk away from it. To, to be so bothered by it that you leave it by the side of the road. I hope the junk man comes and gets this. Because I don't need this evil in my life anymore. That's what God says. But what he doesn't want us to just put the evil down and walk away. He wants us to pursue or actually ensue, which is an even stronger word than to pursue. He wants us to ensue something. And what is it? He tells us in verse 11. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and what? And ensue it. So what does God want us to follow after? What does it say? It's in the passage. Peace. Wouldn't it be wonderful? Can you imagine living on a planet where it was peaceful? Really peaceful. Not pretend peace. Not peace, peace where there is no peace. Not where politicians talk about peace, but where people actually love one another. Where people are actually, no, no, you go first. Right? Where people hold the door for other people to be kind, and no woman gives you a hard time because you held the door for her. Which is a strange thing to me. Just Isn't that weird? It's like, I didn't need you to hold that door. I, I, I didn't hold it because you needed me to. Because my mama taught me to hold the door, right? Amen? It's just courteous to hold the door open. If you'd have been a guy, I still would have held the door open for you. You know what I'm saying? I would have then gone through it before you got through it. You know what I'm saying? He said, you can get the door yourself, sir. Amen? Listen, God wants us to love one another and to what? Put your selfishness down and walk away from it. And instead, to what? Pursue peace. Peace is not peace for you. Peace is peace for us. It's very easy to have peace, as I said already. It's very easy to have peace when you're by yourself and you get to control everything about everything about everything. That's not peace. Peace is when it's this terrible, terrible storm, when the bills are due, somebody's really sick, somebody's going through a terrible tragedy, and you have a peace that passes understanding. That's peace. And somebody says to you while you're sitting in the waiting room in the hospital for this really difficult thing, and they say, you act like you don't even care. Oh, I care. I care a great deal. But my God cares more than I do. So I don't have to fret and roll my hands like this and, and fuss and go back and forth and go like this and stuff. I don't have to do that. Why? Because my God's a great God. Well, what if they die? Well, they know Jesus. Honestly, right? And depart and be with Christ, which is... I, don't, I really... I really, I really uh, I marvel at people who go to church who say they're born again, who say their loved ones are born again, and then they seem to have no peace when their loved ones are sick and dying. Now, I understand that we love each other, and we don't, but I'm telling you, if you, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, Kenny's car is dying, right? Kenny's car is dying, Kenny's car is dying, Kenny's car is dying, Kenny's car dies, he gets a new car. Oh, Kenny's car, poor Kenny's, Kenny got a new car, right? Yes? Do you understand what I'm saying? He got a great, Kenny's driven really not nice cars for a long, ever since I've known him, not great cars. He's got a brand new car, amen? And it's, it's probably full of stuff already, right? He got a brand new car, praise God for that. Nobody's lamenting Kenny's old car because Kenny got a brand new car that he could buy with cash, he could afford it, praise God for that. He worked hard all his life and he bought a car, amen? Well, when we lay down this life, we're going to go to a far better place than this. Yes? And the body that I'm living in now 
needs to be replaced. Amen. Now, I know I did it. I understand that. I'm the one that wore this one out. But I am looking forward to having what God wants for us forever. The absence of sin. Amen. And some of our loved ones have gone to be with our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God for that. God wants us to have peace under all wonderful. Listen, if you have to pretend to have peace, you do not have peace. That's a hypocrite. God does not want you to be a hypocrite. God does not want, listen, God has taught me a great deal negatively. He's taught many of us a great deal negatively. By my failure, I realized I cannot have what God wants for me because I responded poorly in that circumstance. If I had what God wanted for me, I would not have responded like that. Amen? So then what do you do? Confess it. Yes? Just confess it. Let me ask you this question. How many of you have failed under difficult circumstances and know you failed under difficult circumstances. Raise your hand if that's true for you. All right, that's good. Now listen, how many of you have failed under difficult circumstances and tried to cover up your failure while you were doing it? Raise your hand again if that's true for you. Amen, okay. Now, how many of you are sick of that? Amen? Yeah, really, honestly, go ahead. Really, honestly, just sick of that. Well, praise God, God has not promised us that at all. That's what he's saying here. Notice what he says. For the eyes of the Lord, here's the point. We put down selfishness and walk away from it, and we pursue peace. Why? Because the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. So if you and I would be selfish, we cannot pray. You cannot be a selfish Christian and have a good prayer life. You can't. You can't. You're going to have to repent. You're going to have to confess that that's true. And say, now listen, we know that this righteousness, here's the, the problem with us in verse uh, 12, it's like, but I'm not righteous. You are if you're in Christ. If you really are a new creature, you really are, yes, right? I don't have my righteousness. No, no. I don't want my righteousness. I hope you don't want your righteousness. But I do have a righteousness, Right? It was a righteousness that was given to me, amen? The point of this passage isn't talking about whether you're righteous in yourself. It's whether you pursue peace instead of selfishness. The whole point of the context of this is this. You want to live in a good neighborhood? You want to be a good neighbor? You want to be a good coworker? You want to be a good spouse? You want to be a good church member? Then put down your selfishness. Pursue peace. And God will hear your prayers. Amen? Now, here's the irony. You know what my first prayer is? God rescued me from me. So just acknowledge. If there's selfishness in your life, acknowledge the selfishness. God, save me from this selfishness. This selfishness, my selfishness hurts. I know I say this all the time. My selfishness hurts my wife. My selfishness hurts my daughter. My selfishness hurts you. My selfishness hurts a lot of people because I'm a pastor. I can't have a selfish life. I can't have a selfish life. Do I want it? Oh, of course I do. Do you want a selfish life? Of course you do. The problem is we want to find fault with other people wanting selfishness all the while having our own. But see, God didn't come to set them free from my selfishness. He came to set me free from my selfishness. Yes? This is the power of God. And how do we do this? It was given to us in the verse before this. Yes? The key to verse 12 is verse 11. Eschew hate, hate, put it down and walk away from it. Hate selfishness, hate evil, and instead do good. Let him seek peace 
and ensue it because the eyes of the Lord are watching over, taking care of the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Those who would live in their own selfishness cannot help other people because they have no power. And listen, I'm telling you, honestly, and we'll be done here. I promise you we'll be done. I'm, I'm going I'm to keep my word. I, I now have one minute to do it. It just turned to 19. The people around us need a great and loving God. A God they don't even believe in anymore. And all we wanted to do was to go to church. All we wanted to do was to be religious. That's not what God wants for them. He wants to set them free. He wants to make them a new creature. Are you a new, are you a new creature? Can they see it? Or are you being a selfish new creature? God has not called us to be selfish new creatures. He's caused us to be joy unspeakable and full of glory, new creatures. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your love to us. Father, I pray that you will use your own Holy Spirit and your own Holy Word that we just looked at together to cause us to understand how free we really are if we're a new creature. And Lord, that we would not be bound by selfishness anymore, but that we would really be set free I, I, I personally thank you for the victories in my own life that I know are not mine. I know they're not mine. I try to make them mine. Lord, I lived in Romans 7 for a long, long time, and I know you know that. But Lord, I thank you for setting me free from that, causing me to realize that I'm dead, dead, dead. There was no fixing me, so you put me to death. And yet I live, yet nevertheless not I, but Christ liveth in me. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters that they would understand the power of the Holy Spirit changing them from glory to glory. Instead of being us, being able to walk in the newness of life that you have given us in Christ. Thank you for such great resurrection power in our lives. Thank you that it is the same mighty power that raised Jesus from the dead that causes us to be able to walk in the newness of life. Thank you, Father, for this, for this dynamite power, for this, for this dynamo power, this great and ongoing power. That's what you call it. You, you're the word that uses the word dunamis, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. The power to not have the fruit or the works of the flesh, but the fruit of the Spirit instead. Thank you, Father. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand.